Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back. Let me play a little cleanup from the segment prior. We were talking about the uh, the meeting which took place, the lengthy meeting, two hours, originally scheduled for just one, uh, but two hours ultimately the length of the meeting which took place in the Oval Office between President, uh, President Joe Biden, uh, Vice, Vice President Kamala Harris, and 10 Republican senators of the United States Senate. Uh, the, the the topic of the meeting was, of course, the the stimulus package or relief package, as Senator Romney would phrase it. And the difference in the dollar amounts is different by over a trillion dollars. Uh, I cannot imagine being involved in trillion-dollar negotiations. That's some high-stakes stuff. Uh, but negotiations may, at least in my estimation, be an inappropriate word to apply to that meeting. As we heard from uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki just yesterday, uh, she said, listen, this isn't necessarily a back and forth. This is not where offers are either uh, presented or accepted or declined or anything like that. This is an opportunity for, as requested by the senators, for them to come and share their position. And today it seems that that dollar amount uh, on the part of the White House, has remained unchanged. A few uh, text messages I want to get through here before we move on to the University of Utah. Uh, here's one. It says, Lee, there is middle ground for compromise, but uh, President Biden will not go there. He's not allowed to go there. Biden will do as he's told. Uh, not sure what that is exactly in reference to, but uh, but that the view of the texter. Uh, and here's another one. It says, to say there will be compromise in D.C. is naive. I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm cautiously optimistic that something between these two sums can be agreed upon. For two reasons, really. Uh, I, I do believe that there is value in the direct payments. If targeted and delivered to the correct people, I think that there are individuals, many of you may be listening now, who are very, very deserving uh, of a little bit of help. Why? Well, because the way this COVID-19 catastrophe has uh, swept into our lives has been unfair. There have been mitigating efforts on the part of government that have made earning a living uh, unfairly difficult. It changes the rules of the game. And those changes, I do believe, entitle many to, to get some help. But with that said, I'll, I'll continue. The texter continues, To say there will be compromise in D.C. is naive. The day of compromise is long gone. I hate to be this pessimistic, but I'm a realist, and experience has taught me otherwise. Congress has proven over the last several years to be unable to compromise, and there's too many hurt feelings to ever let that happen again. I, I so hope you're wrong, 
but I see the evidence that you're looking at. I so hope you're wrong, uh, but I see what you have observed and what has informed this position of yours. Uh, one last thing on the direct payments. Another texter writes in says, on the issue of the income threshold for stimulus payments, if they go by 2019 tax filings, just because some made more than 50K in 2019, doesn't that mean, uh, doesn't mean they're making that much now? Uh, they could be they could be someone who lost their job during 2020. Let me respond to that. So I was very curious about this very same question. Eligibility for the first two rounds of direct payments uh, from the federal government has been determined by your 2019 or 2018 tax filings, whichever were on file. Now, uh, at the time, there were no filed 2020 tax filings, and so the best, the best understanding of your income that the uh, U.S. government could surmise was uh, how you did in 2019. Now, let's say, as this texter points out, you lost your job in 2020. And so once you fill out your tax forms for fiscal year 2020, or for tax year 2020, rather, you will show having made far less. Well, guess what? That's all right. Uh, Because if you're looking uh, and wondering about that stimulus money, once you get your 2020 filings uh, in, there are remedies. You'll be made whole. If you made less than the threshold, then you are entitled to those stimulus payments, those direct payments to Americans. There's a a little bit of paperwork to fill out with your tax preparer or directly with the IRS, and you'll be all right. Now, you might be wondering, okay, what if, what if then I qualified in 2019 and then made more, thus disqualifying myself in 2020? Uh, Have no fear. You don't have to pay that back. Uh, The the government understands that, uh, you know, you received that money at no fault of your own, uh, and uh, you don't need to go out of your way to to turn that back in. Anyway, so that's the update on that. Shoot, I've spent too much time on this. Okay, I have uh, three quick minutes here to share with you uh, some startling news that uh, I, I was just I shouldn't say startling. It was unexpected. This morning, I got a a press release from the University of Utah having to do with Chief Safety Officer Marlon Lynch. If you remember. It was just over a year ago, uh, here on this program, there was another press release sent around by the University of Utah announcing that a new position had been created uh, within public safety. The chief safety officer position was formed, and to fill it, uh, a man named Marlon Lynch. We spoke to him uh, just as he was about ready to start the job and, uh, and asked him very basically, what does the chief officer do? In this case, uh, the chief safety officer will coordinate all of the public safety, primarily the police, security, emergency management, um, environmental health and safety and risk management efforts for both uh, the university as well as the health sciences. That's Marlon Lynch. And he, for the past year, you know, since that conversation I had with him last year, uh, he signed on as the chief safety officer at the University of Utah. And we could go over, you know, the circumstances the university was uh, was facing and has faced over the past number of years and understand, you know, all the more why, uh, you know, a reliable person in this position is so badly needed. Well, uh, the news of today is that Marlon Lynch is leaving. That after just a year on the job, uh, he just over a year when when the date comes, he'll be here serving until the end of March, and then he will be leaving to occupy a similar position 
at the University of Michigan. Or I'm sorry, Michigan State University. My apologies. Michigan State University uh, also happens to be his alma mater. And so that naturally brings up questions of uh, motivation. You wonder, uh, are you, Mr. Lynch, are you leaving Utah or are you being drawn to Michigan? Uh, questions that once we have the opportunity to ask of Mr. Lynch, we will, uh, working with his office now to schedule a, an interview before he departs for Michigan. But uh, it's an interesting thing, especially as the chief who himself only recently uh, came on the job is off the job at the moment being investigated. Lots of questions to ask about what's happening at the University of Utah. We'll ask them as soon as the opportunity presents itself. Quick break. When we return, very much looking forward to this next topic. We're going to be talking with a Utah representative, Candace Perucci, a frequent guest of the program. She right now is taking on something called the Confucius Institute. You familiar with that? And why she views it as a threat not only to Utah but to the United States. Candace Perucci, representative with the House of Representatives here in the state of Utah, is my guest next here on Live Mike. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.